This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. All right. Welcome. And uh, where do we leave off? All you people who pay attention. Chapter, we're starting four, right? Chapter four? Okay. Good. Any questions on anything we covered so far? We, we looked at kind of the introduction, and uh, then we got to the letter to the churches. And now, now that we're kind of doing this inaugural vision of, of what's going on uh, at these end times. So, chapter 4, Revelation. Again, I'm reading from the... ESV, the English Standard Version. Are you ready? Strap on. After this, meaning after these letters to each of the churches, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All right, now we are dipping our toe into the fun stuff, don't you think? Okay, so we've had these letters to the seven churches. Um, Verse 1, after this, indicates a new section, kind of a new introduction 
into a new vision. Um, and what did he see? A door standing how? It was standing open, an open door. We say that, don't we? When, when, when someone says, I'll have to stop by and visit you sometime. And you say, the door is, it's always open, right? Is it literally always open? When it's seven degrees outside and the snow is blowing, it's not open, just sitting there thinking, maybe someone will stop by. No, but it, it's a, for us, that's a figure of speech. For here, it's a literal. John, John looks, not only looks into it, but it seems now that he does what? He walks, he walks through it. He enters into this. And it's by invitation, isn't it? An open door is an invitation. So it's not that he's wiggling his way into heaven. This is all orchestrated by God. And he says, And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, this is going back to the earliest part of this book, isn't it? When he, he defined Jesus with that, that voice of a trumpet. What does a trumpet indicate? It's an announcement, isn't it? What else? It, it is loud, isn't it? It's designed to capture the attention of people with an important announcement. So in the good old days when kings came in, they had that trumpet blast, right? So, and, and so here, this voice like a trumpet means there's something really important that is going to be said here. We first heard it in, in chapter 1, verse 10. So I want you to note here that Jesus is going to be the uh, mediator of the vision. Jesus is the one who's kind of directing things here. And it's going to be like that until chapter 8. And then we'll have an angel take over. But right here, it's Jesus. And I think that's important because that really is a beautiful uh, symbol for us that Jesus is always the mediator between God and man. So he was, he was suspended between God and man when he was crucified. And, and when we pray, you know, we usually pray, we conclude our prayers oftentimes in the name of Jesus or we pray this through Jesus. Someone once said to me, if you don't say that, is it a, is it a, is it a legal prayer? And the answer is, yeah, it is, because as Christians, we always stand in Jesus. And so everything that we do with the Heavenly Father is only because of Jesus. So um, I like this. What does the voice say? Come up here. Come up here. We can't go up to God. So God came down to us. Right. How many of you heard the song, Kumbaya? <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you, can you still smell the smoke and, and, and see the burning marshmallow? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kumbaya, it's, it's um, from, uh, from South Carolina. There was a group of people that lived down on coastal South Carolina um, generations ago, and they had kind of a mixed language of English, and I think there was some French in there, almost like a Cajun thing. Kumbaya is come by us is really what the, what the song is. Come by us. It's a, it's a plead for God to come and rescue his people. Come by us. And now notice what the call is to John. You come up here. So there's no way we can work our way up to God. So God came down to us in Bethlehem's stable on a cross and ascended after his resurrection 
opens the door of heaven and he says, now you can come up here. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So come up here. Come on, John. Don't be afraid. You, you come on up here and I'll show you what, not what will take place or what can take place or what might take place. It must take place. It has to happen. So, when we get to verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit. This is a little different than chapter 1, verse 10, when he talked about being in the Spirit. There he says he was worshiping in the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit, don't we? Of course we do. So we worship in the Spirit. This is a little different. This one is, he was in the Spirit, or caught up in the Spirit, and, and here, I think John is experiencing something outside normal human capability. So this is, this is more than just thinking about heaven. This is experiencing. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4, Paul mentions a man who is caught up to the third heaven. Caught up. I think... I think what John wants us to understand is this just wasn't some dream that happens. He's in the Spirit. This is an experience unlike anything else he has ever had. And then he sees, what's the first thing that he sees? It's one sitting on a throne. He sees God. It's the first thing he sees. Attention is always directed toward God when we're in heaven. That's what it's about. Our attention is directed. Our attention is often diverted from God as we walk in this world, isn't it? Because our attention is usually centered on, on, on what? Ourselves. Ourselves. Our attention is centered on me. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we usually find that we love ourselves and every once in a while, we give ourselves our attention to the Lord and others. So in heaven, where we are perfect, it is this love of God. And this is the first thing that John catches, is um, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. He sees God. And then he does this little, this little what did he look like? He had the appearance of Jasper and Carleon. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. What do you make of this? We don't necessarily know the equivalent today of some of the gems that are expressed in the book of Revelation. But it isn't, doesn't mean that, that God looks like a gemstone. It's, that's not, have, you ever used, have you ever used something to define something else? What have you done? Oh, your eyes sparkle like a diamond. Ted says that to you a lot. That's every day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's as white as snow, right? N new fallen, not that... Cedarburg side of the road stuff in the middle of March, right? Yeah, yeah, as white as snow. Ugly as sin. Ugly as sin. Careful, Ted, you were doing really, really well for a while. 
So when, when, when we have these references, it doesn't mean that the Lord was like a, a, a gem. Um, but this is to say that it was uh, the brilliance of God. Can we put it that way? When we think of gemstones, we think of beauty and we think of brilliance and we think of light being refracted through things. And, and it's this magnificent brilliance of God. Uh, let's, let's go back to Mount Transfiguration for a moment. And Jesus takes uh, Peter and James and John and then he is transfigured. And what is his appearance? Brighter than brightness, clothes were as if they were beyond what Clorox could do. So he peels back just a little bit so people can see his divinity. And it, and it gets to the point when the Heavenly Father speaks, what do they all do? Hit the dirt. Everybody hit the dirt. When we have this appearance of God, we always get this idea of brilliance. And I think this is what verse 3 is trying, trying to say, that God himself emits light and brilliance. Scripture always talks about light as good and pure and holy and, and darkness is equated with evil and sin. Jesus said, let us work while it is yet light. In other words, while I'm still with you, while it's still light. So, um, if you got any questions or anything, make sure you shout them out. Okay? Someone nod so I know you're around. Okay, there we go. That's good. You got masks on and stuff like that, and that's hard to tell. Um, verse 4. All right, we're getting into a lot of this um, figure stuff. 24 elders. They are not angels because they, angels are, are referred to as angels and these are referred to as elders. So an elder is one that has a, a position, right? So in early church, they had elders were kind of like pastors at the time. We have elders here who care for the spiritual well-being of our congregation. There's 24 of them. The number is specific. 24 is two dozen. What else? Split it in half. And you have a couple 12s. 12 pretty important in the Old Testament. 12 tribes. Was it important in the New Testament as apostles? 24 elders refers to a totality of Old Testament and New Testament believers. It's the human saints who are Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. So Old Testament believers, they believe that the Messiah was coming, on his way. New Testament believers say that he came. Right? And that he's coming again. So we've got this totality here. So it's these human saints. Oh, let's do this. Let's define what a saint is too, right? What is a saint? So in, in his letter to the Philippians, St. Paul says, to the saints in Philippi, a saint is a believer. So it's not a, a, a good person who's long since dead and performed a couple of miracles. 
A saint is anyone living or in heaven who's a believer in Jesus. Some people call that the invisible church. So the visible church are the people on earth who say they believe in Jesus. There's some hypocrites in there too, right? Invisible church are all those who believe in Christ on earth and in heaven. It's the totality. This here are those who are in heaven from the Old and New Testament who have this beautiful faith. And what are they wearing? Yeah, they, they wear white garments and then on their noggins, crowns. White robes again are what? Purity, righteousness. Um, if you look back, there were, there were three or four prominent Jewish groups. You know, the, the Jewish people were kind of like Christians today in, in denominationalism, right? So we've got Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and Roman Catholics and Episcopalians and non-denominational. Uh, in Jesus' day, there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees and there were Essenes and so forth. Jesus' theology was probably closest to the Pharisees with whom he had the greatest disagreements. Is that interesting? The theology of Jesus was closest to the Pharisees. Why did they have all these disagreements? Because they disagreed on probably the major point of Christianity. The Pharisees taught and Jesus taught the same thing that you can only get to heaven if you're righteous. Their difference was what? How do you become righteous? The Pharisees said, you make yourself righteous. You follow the rules and the regulations and you keep the laws. And Jesus said, but you can't do that, so I'm going to follow the law of God. The real law, not all the man-made laws, the real law. And I am the righteousness of God, and if you believe in me, you will have this righteousness of God. That's a pretty big difference, isn't it? How do you get righteousness? So righteousness is, is a, a gift from God. He gives us faith in the Son He gave to us so that as we believe in Him, we would have the righteousness of Jesus on us. Paul would say you clothe yourself with Christ, right? Um, a lot of times we use a funeral pall. So it's a white cloth that's put on a casket and it symbolizes that we were baptized into Christ and therefore we were clothed with righteousness. And as that cloth is draped over a casket that holds human remains, it's the understanding that the soul is in heaven and the body will be joined with the soul on the great day. And the only reason is because of what Christ has done. So it's a reminder as that white cloth is on the casket that one day body and soul will be in heaven wearing the white garment of righteousness. Isn't that cool? Beautiful. So it's this righteousness thing, not because of anything I have done 
absolutely all because of what Christ has done for me. And then there's a golden crown on their head, gold and crown. Uh, a crown symbolizes victory. Gold symbolizes royalty, triumph, purity. It's expensive. Our victory came at a great expense, right? At the cost of, of, of the life of God's own son. Freely given. So that we can wear the robe of righteousness. Yeah. So we've got all these believers, heaven in heaven, from the Old and New Testament believers. They've got these white robes and they have these golden crowns. And then... Uh, verse 5, here's what comes from the throne. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. How many of you, when you were a little kid, ran into mom and dad's bedroom when, when that happened? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We ran and we jumped in between them and, and you fell asleep. Did you ever ask mom and dad how they were going to protect you? <laughs> no, you didn't say, okay. Uh, Mom and Dad, I'm, I'm rather frightened, and uh, I'm coming in here, and you promised to protect me. Tell me how you're going to keep me safe from the flashes of lightning and the rolling thunder, and then your parents had a little science lesson for you. And then, No, you didn't. You were just in their presence, and you were okay. In the midst of this flashes of lightning and this rolling, rumbling thunder, these saints of God are okay. Because they're in the presence of the one who is the thunder and the lightning. What do thunder and lightning represent? There's some holiness in there? Power? Yeah, I think there's power. This is the God who put all creation into motion. Um, you know, if, if we go back in the Old Testament, um, God calls Moses up to Sinai, right? Mount Sinai, he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and, the, and, and the children of Israel down below, and, and they look on that, and a big cloud kind of envelops the top of the mountain, and there's these flashes and rumbling, and, and what's their thought? I think Moses just became a burnt offering. <laughs> It was the presence of God giving his law to Moses to bring to the people who are, who are already breaking it, right? Because they're fashioning a golden calf. You know, when you break any of the Ten Commandments, you automatically break number one because you become your own God. When you decide it's okay to steal or to lie or to cheat or disrespect your parents, You've already set yourself above God. So here we got these, this lightning and thunder, and here's the Ten Commandments. And Moses gets to the bottom of the, of the hill there, and he looks, and what does he do with those commandments? Bang! Down they go. You've broken these commandments. Now we get to heaven, and we got the lightning and the thunder, and it's a symbol for us that everything's been fulfilled. What God gave to Moses, his son fulfilled for us. And so we need not fear any longer. And then in front, in front, uh, before the throne, we've got seven what? 
Torches of fire. We don't even have to try to figure out what they are because the Lord himself tells us they are what? Seven spirits of God. So we've got the Holy Spirit. You know, Moses in the tabernacle, they had that, um, <laughs> they had that church on wheels when they were in the wilderness, right? And as they moved along, they'd set up the tabernacle and they'd do their worship there. Moses had a lampstand with seven torches uh, on it. Anybody do any counting on our lampstands? Seven? Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason we have that. And, and it reminds us of the presence of God with his people here, but also in heaven. And then in verse 6, kind of interesting in verse 6, and before the throne, there was as it were, in other words, as it were means what? It isn't like literally, but as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Have you ever, have you ever said that about a body of water? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we don't say that about Lake Michigan or the Pacific or Atlantic because it's pretty big. It's always moving. Um, we have a little cabin on a little lake, and in the morning when you get up, it's just a sea of, of glass. Well, it's a puddle of glass. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The sea of glass represents tranquility. So it's... And, and you get this image, if it's before John, or if it's before the throne, it's got to be before John. So between, between God and John is this sea of glass. And sea, oh, do you have your sheet on what all this symbolism stuff is? Take a look at that. Take a look at that. I think, I think we included sea on there. I think we did. Did we? Yes. Yeah. This doesn't. I'm going to, I'm going to make a however. <laughs> however, this is not a rough sea. This is a what? It's tranquil. It's a great expanse. A sea is a great expanse. Tranquility. Between God and man, there is now tranquility. Heaven is a place of tranquility. Even now, between you and God, there's tranquility. Even though your life may not be all that tranquil right now, there is tranquility between you and God, because, all because of what Jesus has done. There's this beautiful tranquility uh, that happens, uh, a peacefulness. Boy, when you, when you sit out there and you see that little lake or that little pond and you got a cup of coffee and it's tranquil, and it... And it it looks like a mirror, right? Oh, isn't that peaceful? Yeah, that's just nice. And I think this is what, so here you go. Thunder and lightning would normally cause us angst. It doesn't here. It just reminds us of the power of God that provides peace for our lives and, and eternal peace in heaven. Um, I, you know what, it, it made me think of Jesus calming the troubled sea. Remember the disciples out there? Jesus is, is laying on that cushion. You know, it's like, ah, oh, come on, Jesus. I like this one. What, what was, <laughs> they nudged Jesus and they asked him a question in the midst of this boat that's about to capsize in the middle of the sea. It was actually a lake. What was their question to him? 
Don't you care? Don't you care? And sometimes we wonder, sometimes we question. And then what does he do? Just with a word, he says, be still. Reflective of the psalmist, isn't it? Be still and know that I am God. Yeah. All right. So what happens when we've got all of this stuff going on? And around the throne, second part of verse 6, on each side of the throne, there are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. This is a good reading for Halloween. Is that kind of creepy? Full of eyes. Well, it's not meant to be creepy. Notice that the four living creatures are closer to God than any of the other creatures, than the 24 elders. Isaiah and Ezekiel also talk about creatures like this. So we've got to figure out what are these creatures. It seems like of the highest order of angels. And verse 7 goes on to explain a little bit more. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. Doesn't say it was a lion. Doesn't say it was an ox. And the third creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. There have been people for the last 2,000 years um, that have given all sorts of explanations of what these four are. And we could, we could take an entire day talking a, a, about these, uh, uh, what these might represent. I think the best is they represent the four Gospels given to the four corners of the earth. The Gospel belongs to the Lord and he gives it to the world. So we've got Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And there have been some who say the four creatures represent the four stages of Jesus' life, his birth, his death, his resurrection and ascension. There are some people who have said uh, it represents uh, the four aspects of Jesus' work on earth, that he was a priest, that he was a king, that he was human, he was a gift of the Spirit. I, I kind of like the four gospel messages myself. And sometimes if you go into some churches, especially Lutheran churches, maybe up at the altar area, they will have like a, a lion and they'll have an ox and, and a man and an eagle. And that's to represent the gospels moving to the four corners of the earth. And they, they attribute these to the, to the four gospels. Um, and I suppose we could, we could walk through and say, why, why these four? Um, well, what is, what's, what is it that we think of when we think of a lion? Fierce, powerful. How about an ox? We say that, don't we? Strong as an ox. The third, the face of a man. Jesus became a man. And the fourth, what do we know about eagles? And this eagle's doing what? It's an eagle in flight. Anybody want to sing on eagle's wings? Right? Because it is the gospel that raises us up. I think it works out pretty good. 
uh, that it's, it's the gospel because the, the four creatures stand between God on his throne and the 24 human saints. And what's the one thing that has brought those saints close to the Father is, is the gospel message. Um, the symbolism of the eyes, I think, is this all-seeing. So the symbolism of the eyes is this presence, this constant presence of the gospel. And remember uh, that Jesus said, you know, I probably won't be coming back until the gospel is everywhere. It's fulfilled and proclaimed, right? So it's proclaimed. So I see this eyes, you know, in... in Eyes in the front and the back, on the outside, on the inside, it's just filled, filled with eyes. And, and um, I did this in a sermon. I preached it at, at River of Life. If you were to lose one of your five senses, there's, there's sight, smell, touch, hearing, and the other one? Taste. 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 That's, I must have COVID. I forgot the taste. Um, if, you, if, you could only, if you could only have one of those five human senses, which one would you keep? Sight, right? I would probably keep sight. That would be big for me. And, and this sight thing here is, is, seems to be the most important of the five senses, but it gives me opportunity to, to move around. I can communicate, right? Even if, even if I can't hear. So I don't know. Does that help? I, think, I don't know. I think it's just, it's, I don't either. So, so there you go. Hey, remember, you're not paying for this class. So... <laughs> <laughs> and here's what's interesting. Um, I guess we can say, oh, let me back up here. Four living creatures. Uh, and, and the four, in verse 8, uh, the four living creatures, each of them with how many wings? Six wings. And they're full of eyes all around and within. And we'll talk about their, their speech in a second. They're, they're filled with wings. Um, I, I, th I think they, they make this representation that their role is attending God's glory. The gospel, the gospel announces the grace and the glory of God. And so I see these as um, it's, it's power and strength uh, come, come to us through Jesus who became human as well as keeping his divinity uh, it lifts up all uh, believers, and it's everywhere, and, and it just announces God's glory. Uh, Isaiah talks about these winged creatures, right? With, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they were flying. Um, and it may be he's seeing the exact same thing. What is it they say? What's the first thing they say? Holy, holy, holy. Same thing they say in Isaiah. Chapter, what is that, six? It's not that they stutter. It's not that they were typing this down, holy, and then the phone rang and they came back, where was I, holy, and then someone at the door and they came back and typed holy. There's a reason they do this three times. This is, this is not a secret for any of you. It's the Trinity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So in other words, the Almighty Lord is three divine persons in one 
divine Godhead. But then comes our next line, who was and is and is to come. That was always a reference to the Father. We had that in earlier chapters. And whenever the living creatures, this is verse 9, whenever the living creatures, doesn't say gave glory, it says what? This is an ongoing process. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So much the same as Peter and James and John on transfiguration, these bow down as, uh, as praise is being sung. Why do they bow? What's the, what's the reason for bowing? Reverence. Yes, we're showing respect and reverence. This is, it's, it's a position of, of subservience, isn't it? That, that I'm lower than this one. And, and it says, whenever... This is a continuous praise. It is a song without end. Okay, so whenever it's sung, they, they fall down. You thought you do a lot of sitting and standing in a Lutheran church? Here you go. Verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. What does it mean when you cast your crown? I'm giving up my place. I'm giving up what, what I would claim, right? I'm recognizing that someone else is more powerful than me, deserves more honor and more glory than me, and I am going to serve. So even though we're in heaven, we are not gods. <laughs> we're still humans, right? So uh, some religions, like uh, I think it's the Mormon religion who says you become a god, right? And off you go. Uh, no, we don't become gods. We're, we were created humans and we are humans. And we remain humans. God is God. And they, this is the casting the crowns. Everything depends on God's mercy. And then here it comes. So the, here's another song. The four living creatures saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's in verse 8, correct? We have this angelic choir. Now who sings this next one? It's the 24 elders. So the heavenly chorus, the angelic chorus sings, holy, holy, holy. And then we get to sing. This is... This is the song of praise from, from the created humans. Here's our song. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I like in our church when, when the choir sings and then we get to sing with the choir. I just love that, isn't it? It's like the choir has this piece and then, then we get to join in and we sing and, and then 
then we stop and then the really good voices keep going and then, then we join them again, right? And, and it really boosts the ego of the choir, you know. But it's, it, it's I think, it, it's very symbolic of there's those folks up in the balcony, right? That's the heavenly choir. And, and we on earth get to join the heavenly choir and sing the praises of God. Um, and, and again, that's, that's the creation. Any questions on chapter 4? We're, we're cruising, man. Yep, yep, yep. And there's going to be more of that coming. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a contemporary song that is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, right? And there's also a group that took their name out of this section, a contemporary, Christian contemporary group called, Sarah? Casting crowns, exactly, yeah. That's where it comes from. Um, anything on four? You want to jump into five? Oh, let's keep going. You sound just like my eighth grade confirmation class. Do we have to stop now? <laughs> All right. So we're going to have this like coronation, uh, the lambs taking the throne, and then we've got this seven-sealed scroll. So... Um, let me read through the chapter and then we'll jump in if that's all right. Then, after this, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So far our text. All right, let's back it up. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, this is God the Father, the right hand represents what? Power, authority. It's the right hand that works salvation. Without the Heavenly Father sending the Son, we got nothing. It was written within and on the back. Who's one of those people that when you write a note, you fill every piece of white. <laughs> Will, you do that one? Right on the borders and everything. That a boy. Yeah. Right on the edge of the paper. And then, and then when, when someone has to read it, then... then they... <laughs> That's the scroll. It's written on, on this side, it's written on that side, it's packed, it's comprehensive, it's complete, you can add no more. Or as Jesus would say on the cross, it is finished. Everything necessary for salvation has been completed. So there's seven seals on this. You know, when, when someone would, um, we don't do that a whole lot anymore unless you're really one of them fancy people for like a wedding or something. When, when you get the hot wax and you put your little seal on there, ain't that classy? Yeah, that's pretty cool. You put that on there. Uh, in the good old days, it was designed for security reasons, right? Um, so that nobody could find your old email. Never mind. Um, security, because if the seal was broken, we know that someone has breached it. Nobody could do this. This has got seven seals. And the Father holds a scroll, and He's not giving it to anyone unless they're found worthy to open it. In verse 2, I saw a strong angel, a mighty angel, and He's proclaiming with a loud voice. So this angel is, is standing between the Father who has a scroll and the rest of the world. Who wants to come up here and, and open this? But before you come up here, you've got to be, understand you're worthy. How many people came forward? Nobody. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. So nobody in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. In other words, what it says is there was no angel or saint in heaven, there was no human being on earth, there was no demon in hell that was able to open this thing up. Nothing could open it. Nobody was worthy. We don't even, we don't even get anyone to go up and say, can I try? And what was John's response in verse 4? And he cried. He didn't, and it wasn't just a cry. He wept loudly. This is, this is the, this is the eight-year-old kid who, who's dragging his candy bag and gets home and finds out there was a hole in it. Right? 
and there, this is loud weeping going on here. This is as I've lost something. I don't have some. This is like the sound of someone who's mourning the loss of a loved one and the immense pain of knowing that we're all condemned to hell if there's nobody to open the scroll. This is our ticket to heaven. You know, hell is, is always defined, there's a place of loud weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't that just a frightening kind of thing? You know, my, my dentist always says to me, stop grinding your teeth. And I said, I don't. He said, you must do it at night, so stop doing it. Help me with that one, would you? Get a mouth guard. I said, I put my foot in my mouth, that helps. So here's what happens in verse 5. This elder comes up and says, Don't weep anymore. Behold, take a look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah was promised to come out of that, right? The root of David, he was promised to be a descendant of David, but not only a descendant, a root is what? Is the beginning. It's the beginning, right? So he is not only the son of David, he is the author of David, right? He is David's Lord. Um, and, and then he says, uh, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. He has conquered. Uh, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw, and there it was, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. There you go. He went from a lion to a lamb. So the one who is all-powerful, who creates all things, becomes the meek one to take all punishment. As though it had been slain, it bears the marks of crucifixion had been slain, not is slain, had been. And what did he have? He had seven horns and seven eyes. Uh, let's see, Retzlavs, you have had farm animals, right? Any lambs with seven horns and seven eyes? Not too many. No, no, I haven't really, haven't had that, because that baby would win at the 4-H con contest. Yeah. And then you could put that right into that tent at the state fair. Right? The oddities of the world. Seven horns and seven spirits of God. Seven horns represents the total power on earth. Remember, seven is a number of completeness. A horn was a symbol of power. So in other words, this lamb that was once slain has total authority over all life, both human and spiritual. Seven spirits of God, omniscient, all-seeing all-knowing, all-powerful, complete. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I don't know if we have to say a whole lot about that. Um, he's worthy because he conquered sin, death, grave, and hell. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, and it tells us what that is. So this is where we get that picture of everyone who goes to heaven. You sit in a cloud and you have a halo and you play a harp. 
I had a third grader come up and say, when we go to heaven, are we all going to sit on a cloud and have a harp? Do we have to sing hymns like for 24 hours a day? Because I wouldn't like that. And, and, and I said, well, I don't think God would like me singing 24 hours a day. That would be more painful. Um, but this is where we get that imagery. Why a harp? Symbolizes worship and praise. And notice it's the four living creatures and the 24. It's angels and, and humans and these golden bowls full of incense. And it tells us what it represents. It's the prayers of the saints, of the believers. The Old Testament incense was used in when people prayed. It was, it was always, they had the altar of incense. And uh, they were reminded that the prayers of believers are like sweet incense wafting toward God's nostrils. So prayer is a form of praise. So verse 9, I might, you know what? We might get through two chapters today. And they sang what kind of a song? It's a, it's a new song, right? And, and, and this is a new song because it's never been sung before, because nobody was ever worthy before. And the scroll was never opened before because death and hell had not yet been conquered. But now he, we have this conquered one. And it says, worthy. Um, worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to open the seals. What, what makes him worthy? Because he was slain as a ransom for God's people. All people. It doesn't matter uh, your, your tribe or your language or your nation uh, or, or your race. So he's worthy because he's done what nobody else could do. And he's accomplished it perfectly. And all of these people have been made into a kingdom. So we had Abraham who was made into a kingdom, right? Into a people. And now, we, now we've got, well, we talked about this last week. Who is the new Israel? It's those who believe what Abraham believed. Abraham believed God was sending a Messiah. We believe the Messiah was sent. We are all children of Abraham. We are, we are the kingdom of, of grace. Um, so we've been made into a kingdom and, get this in verse 10, you, Jesus, you made him into a kingdom and you made them priests to our God. You are a priest. The job of a priest in the Old Testament was to proclaim. Jesus was the great high priest. He proclaimed God's word. He actually became the sacrifice. So this kingdom of grace is not a future event. It's a present event. The kingdom of glory is a future event, right? I mean, it's there. We're not there yet. But we're in the kingdom of grace. God gives us grace through word and sacrament. So we are, we are there. And then what happens? In, in verse 11, Then I looked and I, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. There was a gazillion of them. I couldn't count them. Um, we can't do it this year. And I really feel bad about it. Uh, Christmas Eve, how we do all those hymns afterwards and we all stand around and breathe on each other. 
Um, we can't do that. And then I like, because the choir and the handbell choir and that, whoever's singing, they got their little candles and they go around the side of the church. They envelop us. That's what's going on here. And around us. Can you imagine? Um, I'll name drop for you. I was golfing with Mason Crosby and I kicked in high school and I said to Mason, Mason Crosby, what's it like when, when you're out there and there's one second left and you're in Lambeau Field and there's 80,000 people. Back when there was 80,000 people. 80,000 people. What is it like? And he said, exhilarating. I love it. And I said, doesn't it like, make you nervous that there's 80,000 people looking at you and a couple million more on TV? And he said, no. He said, that just motivates me. Remember when he had that bad stretch a couple years ago? It was right after I talked to him. <laughs> we golfed on the Sunday he had a bye, and that next Sunday he missed like 100 field goals against the Lions. And, and my wife looked at me and I said, you know, when we were golfing, I was goofing around and I hit him in the leg with my club and she got all panicky. I said, I didn't. But, but this is what's going on. This is the cheering. This is the excitement. They're surrounded by this cacophony of, of praise and, and glory. And I got one minute to do this. And what are they singing? Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Uh, this is like the next verse of the song, isn't it? But in the song, the second verse, the second verse praises Jesus. The first verse praises the Heavenly Father. I see this as the difference. It shows an equality. Both verses include glory, honor, and power. What's added to verse 2 are wealth and wisdom and might and blessing because Jesus earned them all through his coming to earth. Please. Yep. Father, he's on that throne. I think as a separate. Yeah, well, he's this lamb that looks like he's been slain, who appears, you know, all of a sudden now he comes on stage and, and takes the scroll. Um, he comes on stage. <laughs> my daughter asked my four-year-old granddaughter the other day, who's your favorite Bible character? And she said, Jesus. And she said, oh, that's good. Why? And she said, he's the star of the show. <laughs> so um, the loud voice Volume signifies excitement. And then we had mentioned wealth and wisdom come only through Jesus. It's the spiritual wealth of God and the wisdom is this faith that we have. And then in verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them, that like encompasses everything, right? saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So verse 3 is sung by everybody. Isn't that cool? 
So we got angels singing, we got earthly beings singing, and then we got everybody and everything singing. David. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So here we've, yeah, that's a great question. So here we have two things going on. We've got the lamb that shows up and takes something out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne. Now you've got the lamb at the center of the throne. Did one get off the throne and the other one jump on? And I think, that, I think what we're trying to identify, this is a great question. What we want to identify is there are two separate, yet one. Right? Okay. And good question. Two separate, yet one. The Father and I are one, right? So they're two separate persons and yet one Godhead. And we don't fully comprehend that because that's a God thing, right? Like, it's hard to comprehend eternity. The never-ending thing maybe isn't as hard as the never-had-a-beginning thing, always was. That's what I do for my eighth grade confirmation class when they get a little wound up. Can you guys think for a second about how God never had a beginning, he was always there? And then I watch their minds explode. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's difficult for us to, to comprehend this. So it's just, it's just, we got Father and we got Son and we got Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a neat symbol. I've seen it in some of the old churches with the, with, can I do this for two minutes? Some of the old churches, I don't know if you're all going to be able to see this, but we have Father and we have Son and we have Holy Spirit. Everybody agree with that? Okay. And, and I... I this is kind of cool. Um, and then we've got God in the middle. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father. So there's a little word like is here, and then there's an is not. How many of you have the old, the old blue catechism that was printed in like 1941? That symbol's in there somewhere. There's your homework. Go and try to find it. I think it's in there. If it isn't, you won't find it. But, but yeah, this, I've seen this on a lot of uh, windows, stained glass. A lot of stained glass. Yeah. Whew. We good? Man, that was a lot. You guys are good. Okay, so we finished five. We'll pick up six next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.